Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 27. You can follow along in the Pew Bibles on page 1,230. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them, but the disciples scolded them. When Jesus saw this, he grew angry and said to them, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them, because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. As Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You must know the commandments. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he responded, I've kept all these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. He said, You are lacking one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement and went away saddened because he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, It would be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words startled the disciples, so Jesus told them again, Children, it's difficult to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. They were shocked even more and said to each other, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, It's impossible with human beings, but not with God. All things are possible for God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Lydia. Those of you who have been with us during these Lenten Sunday mornings know that each week we've taken uh, an experience or two from the New Testament, from the Gospels, where Jesus touched someone. Now, we very quickly would uh, conjecture that Jesus must have touched a lot of other people where the gospel writer doesn't specifically tell us that's what he did. But on these occasions, for whatever reason, the gospel writer, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, realized that was an important piece of information for us to have. You know, in these um, post-COVID times, we hope, touch has become something that many of us have had very little experience with, except for our closest relatives. And if we live alone, it may be really almost totally true. And those who study touch realize how significant it is. I love some of the experiments that they've done. Believe it or not, and this is not just because this is Final Four weekend, but believe it or not, they've done studies of athletic teams. And those that do the frequent, you know, chest bumps uh, or high fives or, um, you know, whatever else, they hug each other, those teams actually do better. 
Now, whether it's because they're doing better that they do those, but as far as we know. Um, now, most of us uh, don't actually hand our library card to a librarian anymore. You know, we go to the little machine or we do it all online. But back in the day, when you actually went to a library and handed your card to somebody, you know, behind the desk, they did a study and um, some of the librarians would, as they took the card, would just gently touch without the person maybe even realizing it, the person's hand as they took the card. And, other, and with other patrons, they did not do that. And they discovered that those who received a touch, even though they may not have realized it, felt better about the library. We are built to be touched. And in the scriptures, I believe God is trying to help us understand that the ultimate touch is that touch of love through God. Now, it is experienced in Christian community, and we will be able to hug each other more freely someday in the future. Some of us do it now, but that will take place. But in the interim, Regardless of what else is happening, the touch of love is powerful. Um, this morning's stories, as Lydia read for us, are these two powerful stories. One about the children in Jesus and one with this man we call the rich young ruler and Jesus. And we've entitled the message, A Message of Love for Queen Anne and Beyond. Um, you know, more and more I'm realizing what a delightful city Seattle is. Um, very expensive to live in, but delightful. And what a wonderful neighborhood our church is placed in, this Queen Anne neighborhood, which unfortunately I realize some people that would like to live here simply can't live here because they were not willed a home here or whatever else it takes to be able to purchase uh, a home, either in this neighborhood or one of the surrounding neighborhoods. And as I worked through this past, these two stories, these two experiences of Jesus, these passages of scripture, what hit me was how, how appropriate the message of Jesus here is to those of us who live in this community, but not just in this community, far beyond. And what you see happening is, are these grand um, statements of doctrine or theological truth, which are exhibited or exampled in these stories. Uh, those of you who are, are part of our staff know that for a few staff meetings here, we're beginning uh, with two or three people sharing uh, a favorite verse of scripture, maybe even a life verse. I don't know if you have a life verse. Uh, for most of my life, I didn't think I had a life verse. You know, a life verse is one of those verses that maybe at some point in your walk with Jesus became so significant to you that it, it began to sort of be a center for your relationship with him. Maybe it was given to you by a spiritual mentor early in your life, um, with Jesus, or maybe it's just something that touched you. So whenever I um, encourage a group to do something like, you know, sharing a almost or a life, an almost life verse or a life verse, 
I, I usually feel like I should be the one to start off. If you're going to suggest something like that, you ought to be willing to do it yourself. And so that caused me to think again, you know, what verse of scripture would, would sort of for me be most important? And more and more I've realized that Christ's words as recorded in John chapter 10 and verse 10 have become for me something of a life verse. Some of you remember what this is. This is where Jesus is talking about the good shepherd. And he says, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. I think that verse has come to mean so much to me because I have seen, fortunately mostly from the di a distance, so much of the world in which we live where there are thieves which find every way to steal the most valuable things about a person. And yet, I have also experienced the other side of the verse where Jesus says, I am come, in contrast to that, realizing that's part of your world, I have come that you might have life and to have it to the full. What if our neighbors in your neighborhood, Queen Anne and beyond, understood that's why Jesus came. Not only understood it, but actually experienced it. In these two stories, they're powerful stories, we see illustrated some of these grand biblical principles that once you understand them and you begin to experience them, you begin to experience this abundant life. For example, you know, he's uh, on his way to Jerusalem, actually. He'll soon uh, again tell the disciples how he's going to die on the cross. And as he's on his way, what I picture is that he stopped for a few moments to rest. And, of course, the crowds are swirling around him and the disciples are trying to give him a little space to breathe. And the kids want to be near him. I picture uh, mom saying, uh, would, you, would you just touch my child? Because I, th I think your touch has some power in it. I, I picture kids wanting to crawl up in his lap or climb on his knees. And the disciples, good protectors as they were, are saying, please, please, parents, give him some space to breathe. Actually, what they did is they rebuked the parents. It's a pretty strong word that's translated that, the, the, the Greek word. Um, the same word is used to describe how Jesus rebuked the demons or rebuked the storm or rebuked Peter when Peter tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. So this is a powerful word. And Jesus was grieved when he saw what was going on. The uh, contemporary English Bible uh, translates it angry, and that's not a bad translation. But what it misses is the other part of the emotion. You can be angry without being grieved, but Jesus was grieved because he saw the children and he loved the children and his disciples were trying to keep the children away. And Jesus uses this 
as this marvelous opportunity not only to love on the children. In my mind, he's got two or three kids on each knee and others are just surrounding him on every side and he's smiling at them, maybe telling them a joke, just having a good time. And then he says, guys, pay attention. Now, I know he didn't, we don't have that in the text, but I really believe that's what's going on. He says, guys, pay attention. You're awesome, awesome followers. But let me tell you, if you want to know life, you'll only know it as a child. Our youngest grandchild, Liliana, don't you love that name? But you're going to love her middle name even better, Liliana Sunshine Brown. And she is. Uh, when we're back in Kentucky, it's part of the reason why Sylvia's back as much as she is. Uh, we care for her one day a week. And let me tell you, it's work, but it's also a lot of fun. She doesn't come in the house without running around, giving you a hug, trying to see what there is for a snack, finding what book somebody could read to her, finding a toy, a puzzle to put together. She is life itself. And I think she's just one picture of what Jesus says. That's the kind of life. That's the way you find life. Small children, and the smaller the more, the smaller they are, the more true this is. They are characterized by dependency. Without you, there's not much they can do, even though they may not sometimes want to admit it. Dependency and expectancy. If they are healthy, if they've been cared for, they expect you'll take care of them. And that's a picture of faith. Dependency on Jesus, expectancy. Um, many of you know David and Janet McKenna. They're part of our congregation, although because of uh, age and health and distance, they're very seldom with us on Sunday morning. Uh, I got a lovely uh, email from David a few weeks ago saying they are part of our regular online congregation. And um, of course, David was uh, a president of Seattle Pacific University for years. Uh, Sylvia and I got to know Janet and David when they moved to Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, where I was pastor, and he became uh, president of Asbury Theological Seminary. Uh, just really gracious and wonderful people. David, of course, is a very prolific author. I'd encourage you to read any of his books. Um, in one of his books, he tells this story. He says he, had a, he was with a group of students in Cambodia. This was soon after some of the worst took place there. And they're getting about ready to leave. The mission is finished. They're, get, they're ready to take a group picture. And around them, are a lot of other Cambodians, including some Cambodian children. And quite soon, his attention goes to these two, obviously malnourished, uh, dirty, because they don't have any choice. That's just the world they live in. And he noticed that obviously one of these, the younger of these two, really wanted to be in the photograph. So he sort of motioned to the child to come and join them, and the child got permission from their older sibling and jumped and jumped into David's arms. Uh, and he said, when I, when I picked him up, for the first time, I physically felt the effects of starvation because this little guy's bones 
were protruding through his skin and into my flesh on my shoulder. And then he said, uh, just as they were ready to take the photograph, this little fella laid his head over on my neck. David said, I felt love for children as I had not felt since the time my own children were that small. He said, if I could have done it, I would have walked to his village, entered his hut, taken his place so that he would have the blessings of life that I have. You know what David McKenna experienced in that moment comes somewhere close to how Jesus looks at us because every one of us are infinitely valuable in his sight. The smallest child, that's the first great a theological principle that undergirds all of our, our relationship with him. Every one of us, even the weakest of the weak, are infinitely valuable to Jesus. So when you think of your neighbors, Queen Anne or wherever else you live, uh, maybe you want to think about the neighbor that's not as easy to get along with. Perhaps you don't have that person in your neighborhood. But maybe you want to think about the one that's hardest to get a hold of. Whoever it is, that person is infinitely valuable to God, just as you are. Very quickly, after telling that story, Mark, and we believe Mark was largely taking from Peter's first-hand report. Most commentators believe, you know, Mark may not have been on the scene, but he got a first-hand witness from probably Peter. So very quickly, Mark moves us from that event to the event of Jesus meeting this young man who we often call the rich young ruler. I believe it's not an accident that these two stories are put immediately next to each other in Mark's gospel. Now, it may have been that the, the stories happened immediately after each other, but we know there are many things that Jesus experienced that aren't in the gospels. He couldn't possibly put it in. In fact, John, remember at the end of his gospel, says, if all the things that Jesus did were written. There are not enough books in the world to fill them up. So we're not sure, but what we are sure of that it was important to Mark, I believe under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to put these two stories together because they juxtaposition this great theological doctrine that every person is infinitely valuable with God with the great truth the hard truth that every person is fatally, every human being is fatally flawed as a human being, simply because we were created in this sin overwhelmed world and and um, you know the theological the theologians have terms for it. Um, but we only have to look at small children, even the weakest of the weak, best of the best, to realize that that original sin, you don't have to learn it. You just have to be alive. Uh, you know, that will, uh, we won't tell you what Liliana does when she can't quickly get her way. Uh, she has her side and she will learn. And I 
remind myself that as our kids were growing up, I said to myself, they're the little ones, we're the big ones, we don't want weak people, we want strong people. They just have to learn how to become obedient and how to work through some of these issues. That, that original sin is there. It, it's, this young man is really fascinating to me for many reasons. And some of you remember that none of the uh, gospel writers tell us everything about him. One of the gospel writers tell us that he's young. One of the gospel writers tell, he, tell us he's a ruler. One of the gospel writers tell, tell us that he was rich. Thus we call him often the rich young ruler. And so he comes to Jesus and he bows before him. And he says, good master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, the fascinating thing to me is how much he got right. So he understood that eternal life was something worth seeking. You know, there are a lot of people in our neighborhoods who haven't caught on to that yet. Because for them, life is yesterday, today, and tomorrow. To realize that there is a life, a richness that goes on forever is something that they've not yet realized, but they can realize it. It's not that tough. We've learned it, most of us. But he understood that it's worth seeking. He understood that somehow it was related to Jesus. So he comes to Jesus and said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he understood that it had to be inherited, that... Um, that somehow you had to receive it rather than just purchasing it. You know, he got some things right, but the hard part is how much he didn't get right. You know, he didn't understand that Jesus was more than just a good teacher. And you probably have a number of neighbors who would recognize the value of the teaching of Jesus. And, you know, um, I would encourage you to, to capitalize on that. Talk to them about the things that Jesus taught. Maybe some that they have not usually thought about, but start with where they're at. You know, he didn't understand that Jesus was more than a great teacher. He didn't understand that eternal life was more than good behavior. Uh, Christ's interview with him is also fascinating, isn't it? So... Jesus said, um, uh, you know, do you keep the commandments? And the young man says, which ones? So Jesus went down the list, and some of you have noticed that he went down the list of those that have to do with relationship with other human beings, not the ones with God. Very interesting. And, G and he, this young man could say, I have kept all those from the time I was a small child. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but my guess is none of us this morning could probably say that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, but performance was not enough. He didn't get that. He didn't get that wealth was not enough. And, and we can understand that at that time, the Jewish religion taught that one of the signs of being a, a good person having the good life was that you were wealthy. I Probably a theology that came normally out of the wealthy people, but that's what they believed. He didn't understand those things. The interchange here is so fascinating. Um, 
remember then what Jesus said? He said, you, you only lack one thing. And then he goes down a list of what he asked him to do. Think about that. He says, you only lack one thing. He says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So you ask yourself the question, what was the one thing that that rich young ruler had to do? And which one do you think he focused on and which one do you think Jesus focused on? See, I've come to the place, and uh, I'll be glad to discuss that, this with you because these are such rich portions of Scripture. There's a lot we can talk about here. I've come to the place of believing the one thing Jesus asked of him was that he follow him. That it wasn't selling everything, it wasn't giving everything to the poor. It wasn't, he would have riches in heaven. It was following him. But what he understood about him, and this is where Jesus genuinely gets invasive in our lives. The one, one of the things he understood about this young man was that he would never follow Jesus if he didn't give everything away. So, Ask yourself the question, you know, in order to follow Jesus, is there anything that I fail to do? I mean, following Jesus is life to the full. That's part of the reason why John, John 10, 10 means so much to me is that, that I find the deepest joy in life in those moments when I realize I'm on his agenda for that day. And, you know, that every day, I don't always experience that. I'm a human being like everybody else. But when I sense I'm on his agenda, there is a de depth of meaning in life, a peace, a joy that one would sell everything to have. So is there something in your life? That's simply the invasive net nature of the Spirit of God, but not because he wanted this young man to be poor. I mean, not for that reason, but because he wanted him to experience eternal life. And then think about our neighbors in Queen Anne and beyond. What would it take for them to experience this eternal life? And when we pray for one another, this is what we pray for, that they might know that deep joy that comes in Jesus, which once they know nothing else in the world means anything at all. I love, as, G, as this rich young man goes away, do you remember how he went away? Sorrowful. That's the way it works, quite frankly. When it comes clear to us what we need to sort of release in order to know deep joy, if we don't do it, we're going to be sorrowful inside. It's just the way it is. And did you notice what Christ's response was? Christ looked after him, and he loved him because he just wanted that young man with him. He might have been the 13th disciple. I've, I've sometimes wondered what happened long-term in this guy's life. You know, this guy we call the rich young ruler. Did he ever come to Jesus? Now, I'm an eternal optimist. You just got to mark that down. The more you get to know me, you'll realize that's the case, okay? I try to be a realist, too, but I am an optimist. 
I tend to believe somehow, some way, he found Jesus. He wanted Jesus so badly, but on that day, he wasn't ready. Maybe it was at the cross. Maybe it was, maybe it was on Easter Sunday morning. Maybe it was in relationship to the to the young church. Maybe it was watching Stephen be stoned. Maybe it was when Paul came to know Christ on the road to Damascus. I just hope, because over and over again, that's what we see. The people who say no once end up sometimes saying yes to Jesus. I used to be concerned that when I would invite somebody to say yes to Jesus, that I had to be very careful because I didn't want them to harden their heart, as certain evangelists used to talk about, because saying no, I thought, might harden their hearts. Then they did the stats on this. And they, at least in our culture today, most people have to say no 10 times before they say yes to Jesus. So no problem if they say no, just keep praying for them, love them, don't make it a rejection, just keep talking to them because maybe they're on number eight, or maybe they're on number nine, or maybe they're one of those wonderful people that don't need to say no twice, 10 times to Jesus first. We are eternally, we are ultimately valued. We are desperately flawed. We are eternally loved by the God of the universe. And when this young man left, he left with part of Jesus' heart with him. And whatever we're struggling with today, that is exactly the way Jesus is looking at us. And whatever your neighbors are struggling with today, that is exactly the way Jesus is looking at him. I love the, uh, the story that Ron Lee Howard likes to tell. There was this eccentric and very wealthy art collector. And he was, through the years, because of his great wealth, able to collect the kind of art, uh, personal exhibit, not publicly exhibit, personal exhibit that included most of the great masters, the Renoirs and the Gauguins, the, the uh, Picassos. But like all human beings, the time came and he died. And according to his will, there was to be a public auction to sell his works of art. And so the day came, the auctioneer brought the group together. Uh, I think people came from all over the world because some of these works of art were not often available at any price. And as he began the auction with all these fantastic works of art around him. He said, now, the first piece we must auction off is this picture. So it's a picture of a rather elderly man, not necessarily attractive and not even a great picture. And so the auctioneer says, what am I bid for this picture? And there's silence in the room, like this is not why most people came. And finally, from the back of the room, there is a bit, a very small bit, a bit, a few dollars from this, another elderly gentleman. And, and um, he's saying to people around him, I hope people don't bid very high because that's all the money I have. 
and I really would like this photograph. This fellow was my boss for 30 years. And although he had so much and I had so little, all through my life he's treated me with respect and honor and cared for me. And just to have his picture would mean so much for me. And the auctioneer said, is there any other bids going once, going twice, and finally sold to the elderly gentleman in the back. And then the auctioneer says, the auction is over. And people from all over the room say, what about that Renoir? What about that Gauguin? What about that Picasso? And the auctioneer says it was very clear in the will that the auction would be held, the portrait would be auctioned off first, and all of the other arts of work, works of art, would go to the person who purchased the picture. Why I love that story is it's a perfect picture or an acceptable picture of how we know eternal life. Jesus comes into our life and he can look like nothing compared to all the other stuff. And that's actually what we're up against when we're trying to share our faith with people who don't know him. He looks like nothing compared to the great, great works of art. But once you know him, you realize that everything else of value in life comes because you know him. Let's pray together. Father, in just a few moments, we're going to celebrate this marvelous uh, reminder of your great love. We call it Holy Communion. We can't get over it, Jesus what you were willing to do for us. And so now as we come to you, we come like, like little children. Maybe some one of us will come for the first time receiving you as Savior and Lord, but we come with expectancy and dependency. We also come, Lord, understanding that the deepest riches of life come as we follow you with all our hearts. And perhaps for someone here this morning, there's something they've just not been able to release to you, something about life, a relationship, maybe, maybe an object of wealth, um, a practice of life. They just haven't been able to release it. They, they want to, Lord, in this moment, as they again give themselves to you, would you grant them grace? And when they say, take it, Lord, take it from them. Use this moment, we pray, to remind us that forever you are uniquely with us in the bread and in the wine. Let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.